Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, or our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. Hope. This is the hope candle. Let's talk about it. Do you have hope? <laughs> maybe you don't have hope. Maybe, uh, maybe the Christmas season for you is not so hope-filled because it just becomes draining. Um, I know that this season comes with both a lot of excitement and also it can come with a lot of just draining energy. Um, for some people, this season is filled with loss and it's a reminder of that loss. Um, for some people, it's like just beautiful memories and it's excitement and it's just joy and jingle bells. It's all about it, right? Um, and so as a church, I feel like we have the best message when it comes to this because the season is about the church and about Jesus and what it's all, what's going on. Um, but for some reason, it's gotten sidetracked, hijacked in other ways. And we have to kind of get back to the core of it. And that's what we try and do here as a church, is try to get back to the core of what it's all about. Um, This tradition called Advent, um, it's been around for a really long time, but it leads us to Christmas, to Christmas Day, the the day that we celebrate Jesus being born, um, where we celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, These four themes do a really good job of bringing back that meaning of Christmas. So like if things have been lost for you, if you're like, it's a chaotic season. Um, Anthony and I had lunch this week and we were talking about as we were leaving. I was like, I was like, I'm looking forward to the season because it's like, it can be refreshing. And he's like, oh, it's so busy though. Like, how is it refreshing to you? And I'm like, I try and maintain the, the refreshing element of it. And I hope that through what we talk about, hope, uh, we start to see that and we start to like really live into it. Um, and, and hold each other accountable in that process, too. So Advent um, is just this beautiful um, tradition that brings such deep meaning to the season, and I think it can just bring such value, and it can be such a witness to others of what the season is about as we talk about it. So um, my honest opinion when we talk about Christmas prior to all of this, um, one word to, to sum it up for me was just it was brutal. Brutal. Like I just, I've, I hated all the expectation of gift giving, the right gifts, not receiving what I wanted, right? Like, oh, now I have to pretend to be stoked on what someone gave me, you know, like it's totally selfish, you know, like Christmas to me was, it was such a mixed bag. When I was real young, obviously as a kid, it's joyful, it's fun. You, but then as you get older, I don't know, maybe you just turn into a Scrooge. I don't know what it is, but like it starts to become this thing that just is so brutal because of all the expectations, the hype, the like consumerism that comes around it because it's like, I feel like I have to have enough money to buy all the things that I should be buying for all the people that are expecting me to buy something for them, you know, like, and that's all self-imposed, you know, but it's not, it's just what happens sometimes. And, um, and so for me, Christmas, it I just, it was, I had a hard time just living up to what all the expectations were and what it like kind of creates. And I want to show you guys a video that I think sums up kind of what I hope to achieve in this Christmas season. Um, and so check this out. I hope I uploaded it right.
For many of us, Christmas is a time of year that holds some of our dearest memories. We're introduced as kids to this season that brings our loved ones together and is filled with celebration. We sang songs, set up nativities, decorated houses. We learned Christmas is actually a real story with shepherds, wise men, Joseph and Mary. The story of when God the Father gave his son. But now that I have children of my own, it feels like the story of Christmas is simply a story about more. More toys. More things. And even though I'm the parent, I gotta admit that in all the busyness, I buy into it too. I've traded away the best story in the world for what's on sale. What if God had something better than this for all of us? I want to show my kids the real story of Christmas this Advent season. And honestly, I don't know what this will mean for our family. I hope it changes the way we spend money, who we bless, the type of gifts we give, and just how we talk and think about Jesus. The story of Christmas isn't told with free two-day shipping or Black Friday deals. The story of Christmas changed the world. So, shouldn't it change us? Reminder of the season is about worship. It's meant to be life-giving. It's meant to be beautiful. And so when I say Christmas used to be brutal, I think that was prior to discovering this whole story, this story that we get caught up in with Jesus, the Advent story that tells the story through hope, peace, joy, love, Christ, right? That those themes brought such meaning to it that like, I was like, man, we got we to gotta incorporate this as a church. And so we've been doing this for years. Um, the guide that we made, the questions that are in there, it's all meant to just point towards like, let's make this about worshiping Jesus, not about consuming. Um, sure, we're going to have that battle. There's going to be expectations that are unmet, that are going to be challenging. But man, what, what an awesome opportunity to really embody the gospel that Jesus invites us into, this good news, right? This amazing news of what life with Christ looks like. And so the first candle, let's talk about it, hope. Um, hope in the Old Testament was this, he has two Hebrew words, uh, yakal and kava, okay? Um, these are in the notes if you guys want to check them out and you guys can track and kind of see a little more of it um, if you want to pull up the bulletin. Um, but yakal is this idea of to wait for. So in the Old Testament, when sometimes the word hope was used, it was to wait for something to happen. It's just a a time of waiting. Kava was to expect. So it's a waiting but expecting. And the word is used in the term of, like when you stretch a cord really tight, they would use, in the Hebrew, they would use the word kava. The rope has a tension to it that could possibly break. 
And that tension is kava. It's waiting for that tension to like release, that you expect something to happen when you pull a rope tight and get tighter and tighter and tighter. Um, the prophet Isaiah refers to God being like a farmer that plants seeds and he kavaz for them to produce grapes, right? And so a farmer, when a farmer kavaz waits, hopes for grapes, the farmer doesn't hope for grapes like wishful thinking, good vibes, right? It's not like, oh, good vibes to the grapes and then eventually they'll be here and it'll be fantastic. But really what the biblical term of hope does is it says, we're not just going to passively wait. We're going to wait with anticipation, with excitement, with planning. A farmer doesn't just plan, uh, uh, plant any kind of plant and just hope in our term, our English term, that things work out. A farmer plants, good morning, guys. Farmer plants the plant with, in the Hebrew idea of hope, with action, that there's an action involved, that I'm going to water, I'm going to plant, I'm going to till the soil, I'm going to do all the things necessary to make sure that this plant can succeed, but I'm also hoping for a future fruit harvest, right? That farmer is confident in what's going to happen at the end. The process is a hoping. Um, Biblical hope is different than our idea of hope. That's what I hope that we begin to see, that we begin to discern the difference between our current kind of usage of the word hope um, and swap it out for a biblical hope. Our current idea of hope, like I said, the best way to sum it up, positive vibes. Like, just as long as things are great, you know, like, I'm sending positive vibes, hope everything pans out, wishful thinking, it's going to be great. Um, it's this idea of just wishing and hoping. But what we see in Scripture is the biblical hope is active, not passive, that there's a hope that we know what's going to happen. The farmer knows there will be graves. He doesn't know how many. He doesn't know all the minutia details, but he knows that there will be greatness at the end, right? And so um, biblical hope kavaz for God, that we hope for God. We hope for what God is doing. And in the same way that people anticipated and hoped for Messiah, that when Jesus came, they had that, that expectation. There was... 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and when Jesus came. So there had to have been a sense of like, maybe, is it over? Is it done? Like, does God really exist? And then Jesus comes on the scene and there's like this, oh, why did we give up on hope? Why did we give up on all that? Like, we should have kept cavalling for God, like keeping that tension, holding that tension in place and going, there is going to be this beautiful promise that's going to happen. In Psalm 39, 7, it says, and so the Lord, and so Lord, where do I put my hope, my kava, my active hope? Where do I actively begin to hope? My only yakal is in you. My only hope is in you. So there's this active recognition that There's a lot of other things I could put my hope in, 
They don't work. But this thing, I hope, I caval, I yakal in you. The New Testament phrase, we see it in 1 Peter 1, um, says, Praise be to God the Father and Father f- uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. So a very active, so again, this like active word is being sandwiched with hope so that the reader would know in the New Testament there, this is active. This is, this is alive. It's not a dead hope. It's not a hope that like, again, positive vibes, just like, I think there's some good stuff in the future. It may pan out. It might be good. We should probably hedge our bets a little bit and just maybe go to church every now and then. It's like, no, living hope, it's alive, it's here, it's well, and we're going to continue to trust in it and put our lives into it. And he says, this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That to the New Testament audience, the listeners that were initially there, the gospel writers, the disciples, for them, resurrection was like, it demonstrated that that hope, that tension that they were living in became a reality. And then Jesus goes up to heaven and says, now you guys live this out and you guys get to be this reality and I will return. So now we have this hope for the future when all things will be made new. Um, Sorry, I tried to scroll my screen and that doesn't work. Um, In verse 8, it goes on there in 1 Peter. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. None of us have seen Jesus with our own eyes, right? Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Like try and capture that. Like what he's seeing in the early church and the early believers like inexpressible, glorious joy, even though you don't see him, you've never shook his hand, you never sat in front of him and heard his teachings. Well, you did, but it was through other people. And for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That this active faith isn't just like, Jesus is coming someday soon. (sighs) Life sucks. It's bad here. Like, let's just suffer through it until someday it all pans out. It's no, like, the salvation of your souls, this hope that we have is processing, working out, doing its thing now, and it's also going to happen in full later, right? We don't know when that is. We've already done to talk about that. Like, the end is near, but we don't know when. The day and hour is unknown, right? We talked, we went into that one. But the hope that we see biblical authors refer to is Jesus bringing eternal life. Jesus bringing this kind of far off hope that is someday, but also here and now, the life to the full that Jesus talks about. He says, a thief comes to rob, steal, and destroy, right? He says, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. And so this life abundant is glimpses of that, that end glory that we get to experience. And so I think the definition of hope as we begin to expand it as a church, is we, we get to experience that hope. We get bits of it, right? It's not in full because clearly Christmas can highlight all that tension of like, I don't know, greed, guilt, shame, the missed expectations of what Christmas should be, all those kind of things, right? It highlights all of that, the sin, the destruction, all the things that can happen but it also highlights the beauty, the light that has come into the darkness, 
And we live in that tension. And I think that's probably the, the most key thing as a believer is that we forget that we live in that tension. We expect it always to be good. Or if you're on the other end where some people are just like, dude, it's, it's all just destruction, chaos, sin, evil, and I don't see any hope in any of this. But what the Christian has, what we have is a hope that says, no, we're getting glimpses of it. We get to live into this on a daily basis, this life abundant by the way that we live, by the redemption that Jesus is continually bringing salvation to us. And in that process, we get to experience hope, a little bit more of it. We get to see it here on earth. So Christian hope is about this expectation of a rescue, that we're being rescued, but then there's going to be an ultimate rescue that takes place um, where God's kingdom is made full here and now. Christmas is about celebrating Jesus entering into our brokenness, entering into the divided world that we live in, right? Uh, And offering this new way of being human. And the Jesus hope that we see supersedes our circumstances. That our circumstances might be dark, grim, challenging, difficult. You might have relationships that you're like, I don't know how this is going to end. I don't know how this is going to work out, where the resolve will happen. But what Jesus says is that as we begin to put our hope in him, that's why we light this candle. And all week long, we're going to remind ourselves, actually all month long, because the hope candle is the first candle you light, and it burns the longest because you keep lighting it it ends up being the smallest one because we need hope, right? And so every time you light that candle, we're reminded that what Jesus invites us into is this hope that begins to transform us. Um, That's what Christmas is about. That's what we're going to move towards. And so I want to use a verse to continue to unpack this idea of hope. Um, Maybe you've heard this song. My hope is built on nothing less. Oh, you guys got, got a way to see that? Okay. Then Jesus' blood and my righteousness, right? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, right? On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So that's what I want to unpack a little bit. Those are verses from a hymn that I probably would sing when I was younger and didn't like because it had language and it was foreign to me, right? But now that I read this, I go, that's it. That's, that sums up hope. That's what it's all about. That's like, that's my sermon. You know, like as I read that, I was like, my hope is built on nothing less. Like there are so many things that we build our hope on. And biblical hope teaches us how to handle these storms. And so I want to talk a little about that. Like how does this become practical? Um, I was listening to a podcast this week um, because I have this fascination with surfing, sailing, adventure, like offshore, like being out in the ocean, like intrigues me. I love like just what it brings as far as adventure, what it brings as far as like seeing God's creation, seeing crazy animals that are out there um, that could take us out at any moment. Um, (laughs) But there's something just really adventurous about that. It just intrigues me. It always draws me to it. I love the fact that we can go out in the ocean and come back safely, like that we can go out there and survive. I think it's why people like climbing mountains and stuff, right? Like we survived and we came back and we're okay, you know? Um, 
there's something about it. And, and so I listen to this podcast um, for those of you that surf, or if you don't surf, it's actually really interesting stories. Um, but it's called Surf Splendor, and this guy interviews surfers that just have interesting lives, go on crazy adventures like this. And one of them was this guy, Torrin Martin, and he um, and his uh, wife or girlfriend, they spent a year on a sailboat. And so he talks about this journey, and like the movie's coming out, so obviously they're like promoting it. But um, a year sailing, and he had never sailed much. He did a little bit, but uh, in the podcast, he talks about the first month or so encountering storms and what that was like. I don't know what that's like. Like, I check the weather when I go out on the ocean, and it's got to be good. I don't go if there's like, if it's above 12 knots, I'm like, nope. That turns into white caps. We're done. Uh, that's a rough ride, and we're out of here. Like, I don't need that. Um, but he talks about the first storm he encountered, and he was like, is the ship going down? Like, are we going down with this thing? There was lightning, he said. Like, just picture being out on the ocean and the heaviest storm coming in, right? And he says like, a full-on squall. And he said it was 30 minutes of chaos. And he's like, I didn't know if we were going to survive, if we were going to make it through this. And he said he came out, and everything was fine, Right? But in that process, he learned, right? He learned that that storm, um, you have to have respect for it. You're going to have fear in the middle of that. But he goes on to talk about that he did some training to equip for it. And so that training that he had, he, he talks about it further on the podcast. He says, I actually want to go back. And he said he did the condensed version. He said, I actually want to go back and do the full version for if I'm ever in a real storm. And I was like, whoa, like, so that wasn't a real storm? Like, there could be heavier. And so what I learned from that and what I found really interesting is we, there's a preparation that happens um, for storms in life that we have to be prepared for. Um, and in the middle of it, we probably think it's chaos, and I don't know how we're going to get through it, and I don't know how we're going to survive. Um, and, uh, but that preparation made him ready for that experience a little bit. Not fully, but enough to like handle what was going on. And I thought about that in terms of like our faith. And, and I think there has to be a preparation that happens. There are things that we're going to do to prepare to be, um, I think, ready for when Satan attacks, when we have relationships that fall apart, when we do things that we regret, when we make decisions that, that just aren't good. Um, we don't just hope that those things work out. The same way that he didn't just hope that he would make it through. He's not just like, oh, positive vibes get me through the storm and I hope it all works out. It was, I have some training, but in the storm I learned something. And I think that as believers, we have to have that same thing, that we may not be fully prepared for all of life's challenges that, that are thrown at us, because um, some of us are going to encounter some really dark, heavy things in our lives, really challenging things, right? Loss and those kind of things. But if we're not prepared, if we don't do anything to prepare ourselves, if we don't have any hope that is active, that says, my hope lies in Jesus, we're going to crumble in the middle of that. And I think we need to have a, a sense of, yeah, I need to do something to prepare. I need to I need to study scripture, like, not because a pastor told me to, or like, I don't know, some childhood song said, the Bible is what I have to read and have to memorize, you know, like, you want to start to learn and read because you want to start to discover really what God, 
how God wants us to live. And that, I think, is a deeper hope that's built on action as well as, I know that ultimately this is what God desires, that God has a plan to get me through this storm. I just don't know how. And the more we begin to, I think, surrender to that and learn that this kind of hope, it requires an active element to it. It's not wishful thinking again. Um, It's participatory. You get involved in it. A really crazy, funny illustration that I have to like try and capture this is my kids love the claw machine. You guys know about that? Yeah, Yeah, all the parents are like, freaking claw machine, dude. Um, This video, check this out. This is a total tangent. This is going to like totally sidetrack you. But there's a cat in the claw machine. How classic is this? Somehow a cat like... Because the door in the claw machine is like a cat door, right? And I think the cat just thought it was like a, like a cat door. And it's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, you're trying to wake me up? It's like a perfect place to sleep. But the claw machine, the kids love it. Like, they keep wanting to go back, and they keep wanting more and more. And they still, they, they have a hope that it's going to work out, right? They have this hope because they see the the stuff in there. If it was just a boarded up box and they said, put money in it and try and get stuff out of it, you wouldn't do it. But kids see the toys and they're like, there's hope. There's a claw. It might grab it and I might get something. $10 later, I'm out. I'm out. That's why you as parents were like, I'm out. I don't want anything to do with this because the toy's worth 50 cents and we've pumped in dollar after dollar trying to get this thing, right? Because their hope is like, if I just get the toy, right? My idea, like the Christian journey, is I think like we have tools to know that like at some point we stop putting money in the machine, right? Like there are things that don't deliver, right? There are things that you keep putting money in that don't ever get any kind of return, and you could just spend 50 cents somewhere else and get that taken care of. But somehow... Satan has convinced us that, like, we need more, right? Like, the claw toy machine thing is just an analogy for all of life. Like, I think there's been times where I thought that, like, having a new surfboard wetsuit, more stuff, more junk in my house would make me happy. And all the stuff does is just, like, I just need another one eventually. The truck, the car, the whatever, the home, all those things, it's never-ending. The job, there's some ideal, like, job out there that's going to somehow like make us all happy and content and it's going to be the perfect world. Maybe it exists. Maybe some of you have it. I envy you. Um, but like the hope, the like the, the, can't, the toy machine of life is like there's all these things. Sinking sand. There's all these things that we try and reach for. But my hope, our hope, has to be built on something more. Our hope has to be built on something more that is more than just a claw that we just like, oh, I hope this thing pans out someday and I get something in return. And but Some of us are putting so much energy, so much real estate into, resource into the thing that doesn't give us anything back. What I find, and again, this is why Christmas brings hope to me and joy and contentment and like it's life-giving, is because when I light that candle, I'm reminded that when I begin to deepen my relationship with the Lord and deepen my relationship with people, when I kava in God, when I hope in the Lord, it satisfies. Like, 
again, the storm could happen around us, but I'm equipped enough now after like, what, I don't know, 25 years of being a believer. I'm equipped enough now to know that like, maybe not always, because I fall for it sometimes, that my faith in Jesus is so much more satisfying, that like the faith in the Lord, like it delivers, that like I can be fully content regardless of how my car runs, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what I've done during that week to ruin a relationship or whatever it is. So this kind of hope that we see here, oh, it's so life-giving. It's so good because it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just hoping that the claw returns something at some point. Like, we get this active faith that gets to, like, transform life because now we're not lying to people. And I don't have to keep track of all the lies that I've told, right? I'm not putting my, my hope that somehow my my bank account's going to be the thing that's going to make me super happy. Sure, that's great, and it like has its place, and it, sure, it gives us some sense of peace and maybe satisfaction and takes care of the bills, but, man, that could all go away tomorrow. Actually, one of us could die tomorrow, and then it doesn't matter how much money I had in my bank account. I, I literally will not care. I will be like, dang it, why didn't I spend more? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, why didn't I spend on things that matter, you know? Like, why didn't I invest more in, like, relationships, you know? Like, all that stuff, it's just, it's sinking sand, it fades away. And so I hope that, hope that our faith can be activated, that it can be informed, that it can be so centered on Jesus that it brings life. And I hope that this season brings life, that every time you guys light that candle, that we united come together and go, oh, I'm so glad there's hope. I'm so glad that we have a hope that not only is far off, that someday we're going to have just, it's all going to be made new, but it can be made new now. It's being made new. There's a transformation that happens right now that is so good. And so, um, yeah, the, the number one thing, I heard a, a stat this week that stresses people out about this season. Guess what it is? Yeah. Money. Number one is money. Number two is time, because you don't have enough time. You just feel swamped with like all the stuff that's going on. The third one is people and family. And then the fourth one is purchase pressure. Purchase pressure. Like, you got to buy something. I don't know how, much, how many emails you guys got on Black Friday, the all of Thanksgiving week. Emails, Instagram, it's just bombarding you with, like, buy this. Check this out, 10% off here, 50% off, 90% off. Like, check it out. It's not going to make us happy. It's all, yeah, it's just marked up, marked down. doesn't matter. Um, that purchase pressure. But money, it's a big part of it. All, all of those things, family, um, our time, all of those things can be stressful. But when we begin to center on Jesus, when our hope is in Jesus, um, it begins to shift our priority. And then we just go, you know what? I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to buy what I can because I love people and I think this would really bring joy to them. But I'm not going to buy it because I have to. Or I'm just going to be okay with, like, I don't want things. I want experiences. Like, I told my kids, um, they're like, well, what should we get you, Dad? And I'm like, the best thing you can get me is, like, just go fishing with me. You know, like, go surfing with me. Like, I just want an experience. Like, you have to make an experience. Like, you have to write it down, box it up, and hand it to me. You cannot give me something that you've made, something that you've bought, Okay. Um, made is kind of cool, but <laughs> experience, 
that's like that's where it's at. Yeah, <laughs> mom mom helps make it all. Um, but the stuff just never fulfills, right? And those experiences, I think, are just so much more valuable. And as we begin, and that's putting Jesus first. Like, that's recognizing that it's not just, my hope is in Jesus, Christian term, right? My hope is in the truth that Jesus says, care about people more than stuff. And then in that relationship, by putting Jesus first and saying, I'm going to put others first, it's so good. Because then the relationship's been developed. You deepen that relationship. Um, All of that begins to to become stronger. I'm going to read the passage that Jesus gives us um, that that hymn was based on, just to kind of bring it all together here. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that's a key ingredient, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Practicing the things of Jesus, love God, love others, puts us on this solid foundation that doesn't wash away, that I know that I can depend on. And what Jesus perfectly illustrates is that there will be a storm. That something challenging will come against you, but will you be ready? And so hope says, I know there's going to be a storm, but I know how to prepare for that storm. Right? So hope is kavod. It's living in that tension of like, there will be something. I don't know when, but when I put my trust in Jesus, that storm comes and I'm ready and I can have a place, a safe place to hunker down and be protected from that storm, the rain, everything's going to wash everything away. And I know that it'll still stand. So my hope, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not trust something that's outside of Jesus. The things that, that convince us and go, oh, it's going to be really good. But wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. One last little illustration. Personally, um, I know what it's like to put my hope continually in the wrong place. Um, and it, if we take a poll real quick, we could see that we all understand what it means to put our hope in the wrong place and, and how those areas just crumble really quickly. But um, just to give you an example, and then I want you to think of your own, um, that I've built my hope in Jesus' teaching that if I prioritize my relationships with, say, my wife or my kids, um, it will be good. But I know that there's times where I don't prioritize, where I don't take active, like Jesus said, practice these things, active times of loving my wife, spending time with her, going on date night, right? We had date night the other night and we left our kids at home for the first time. It was crazy. It was like, we're driving away going like, is this okay? Like, is this legal? Like, yeah, perfectly legal. Yeah, isn't that nuts? 
like, we should have been doing this a long time ago. <laughs> right? Like, and now we're like, we just went and had dinner together, and, like, and they're fine. Totally okay. It all works out, you know? But prioritizing the things that Jesus calls us to, prioritizing people. Sorry, that was a tangent. I like, gotcha. Prioritizing people. I know that, like, I know that Katie and I, there's times, like, I hope she's okay with saying this, like, there's times we fight because we don't prioritize each other, where we don't take time to say, how are you doing? How's your day? Right? And same thing with my kids. I know that. When I prioritize work, and I'm like, I got to get all these things done, and sure, we have to pay bills, and we have to do those things, and I prioritize, and I'm like, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. I end up losing it on them. And then I'm losing that thing that Jesus says, practice what I teach you to practice so that your house is built on a rock. I know that when I don't do those things, it's that sand that washes away, and I notice how quickly it all just fades and how challenging things get. The storms come. Things just, things get bad, right? And we've all been there in different relationships and different times and different seasons of our life where we haven't prioritized Jesus and people in the right ways. And it becomes sinking sand. And so my question to you is, what's your sinking sand right now? Like, what have you built your house on that's probably sinking sand? Because it's not an all or nothing thing. I think there's, there's portions of our life where sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I just, I've prioritized the wrong things in this area of my life and it's, it's washing away. I can see what the storm's doing right now. So what is the sinking sand in your life right now? Um, and my prayer is just like to close out when you light that candle every night this week because you're all going to light it right yep. every night <laughs> we, I forget we forget all the time um, when you light the candle that it's a reminder of hope that we put into practice that is a future hope that all things are going to be made new that's what the end of Revelation, it says there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow, right? All of that's, Jesus is going to come back and make all of that new, new creation. But until then, we live in that tension where we're going to continue to press forward and do the things that are life-giving. We're going to be loving to people. We're going to be loving to God. We're going to prioritize those over everything else. And then we'll begin to see really how life-giving Christmas is, what it was intended to be, Right? Sure, there'll be a battle, but maybe that'll help you see where the sinking sand is. Maybe you're prioritizing just people-pleasing, and you're buying gifts for everybody, and you don't have the money for it. I don't know. Or maybe you just feel like you have to go to every party that exists this, this month. Maybe you need to learn what that is to have boundaries. Um, all of that is, is learning to prioritize Jesus and relationships over everything and understanding that that'll bring peace, um, which Chris is going to talk about next week, so the more practical side of it. But... Um, I've been reading this book that has this beautiful list of like what begins to happen. I want to close out with this because there's an awesome contrast that happens when we begin to hope, actively hope in Jesus. When we kava, when we expect this kind of life, this is what begins to happen. Compassion, we're going to see compassion in a culture of competition, right? We live in a very competitive culture, like what kind of clothes we wear, like whether you're accepted, the things you say, the job you have, the home you have, everything. Compassion in a culture of competition. This is what begins to happen when we light this candle. Blessing in the face of curse. That might be a little complicated, but there's curse all around us. Like Satan is out to destroy. He wants to curse. He wants to do destructive things. Calling in a culture of compassion. Knowing that you have a calling every day. You have a calling to live out. And it's not everyone else's calling. 
right? Don't compare yourself to everyone else. Like, just know your calling, know your lane, that you're loving God and loving other people and doing your job. Do that well. That's so refreshing. That's so re- it's such a relief to know that. Surrender in the face of control. Some of us really want to control it all. We need to surrender and just go, you know what? Jesus, like, I like this candle because I know that you ultimately are in control. Mercy in the culture of judgment. Maybe you're, you understand what it means to be judgmental of other people, or maybe you've received judgment. <sighs> Mercy is so much better, isn't it? Like, that's why we light that candle. That's part of hope, is understanding that mercy is involved. Humility in a culture of pride. Like, we all want to be lifted up, but we need to be the ones that model this active practicing of what it means to have humility. Passion in a world of complacency. It's good to be passionate. It's good to be passionate for the right things. Passionate for love, passionate for, like, Loving people, oh my gosh, how rad would that be to be known for that? And then presence in a culture of distraction. I thought that one was the best one, that it's last. And that hits Christmas on the head, doesn't it? Right there. Presence in a culture of distraction with so many different things. It's not just social media. It's not just our phones. There's all kinds of distraction. And so light the candle and let's be reminded of those things. I put those things in the... um, the digital bulletin, so if you guys want to go back and maybe just meditate on those and go, what part of my life am I distracted rather than present, right? And just go through all those. It's a great, great little litmus test to figure out where the sinking sand is. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for just truth that um, the season brings, the truth about who you are, what you long to do in our lives, the freedom you long to bring, the love that you have for us. I thank you for these candles that oh, there's so much more than just a candle, but they shine light into our lives of where we find this really just deep-seated contentment in you, Jesus, that brings freedom, that brings hope. Oh, it's so good. It's such a breath of fresh air. And so help us to really settle into that this season and, um, and carry that into this next year, Lord. Um, love you, Jesus. Thank you for um, each and every person here. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us and guide us as we go into this week. Um, and we have opportunities to share this love with others. We pray this in your name. Amen.